Well, let me also welcome you to City Church. So glad that you're here. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. Really honored to be with you this morning. Um, it's been said by people wiser than myself that you ought to give honor and credit where it's due. So I think we should take a moment and thank Chrissy for what she had to share with us last week. Can we take a second to do that? Really, really powerful stuff. If you missed last week, it was an incredibly powerful talk. Very honest and open and real and authentic and all the other catchy words. And it was great. So I think you should, if you haven't seen it, go ahead and uh, you can watch it online on our website or download the podcast. All right? Really powerful. So glad to be with you. Excited for what God has in store for us this morning. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 verses 1 through 11 is where we'll be this morning. And we'll pick it up. It says this. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word... I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of this morning's message is All the Small Things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you once more asking that you would speak directly and clearly to us this morning. We don't want to just hear a nice message, God. We believe that your spirit has something unique and special to say to each and every one of us. So we open up our ears, we open up our hearts, we open up our minds to you right now. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Amen. So let's get into the Schnepp household a little bit, some things that have been going on with us. So my wife and I have recently been praying through this job offer that she got. And so we've been praying about it and uh, really just considering whether or not this is something that God has for us. And so I've watched as the angst just began to settle into my wife's soul a little bit of like, ah, I don't know if this is something I'm supposed to take. And this confusion, this kind of waffling back and forth a little bit, maybe God's telling me to do it. No, maybe I'm not supposed to take it. And I've just been reflecting on the, the fact that confusion is really hard. Can we all agree on that? Just confused. Does anybody else hate being confused? I hate the feeling of confusion. It's so just unsettling and you feel, ah, you just want to like know what I'm supposed to do. And it feels like you probably know that angst, whether it's been a, a different decision that you've had to make in the last month or you're deciding if you're supposed to go to this school or that school. And basically you come to this crossroads and you're forced to take a left or a right. And that sense of confusion is so incredibly frustrating. I mean, think about the last time you were in a car and you got lost, all right? You've got your music on, you've got a couple friends in the back, and you take that wrong turn. And suddenly everybody's a human GPS, all right? So everybody's piping up saying, no, no, you've got to go forward and take a left and it'll put you on the street. And your friend in the backseat is like, nah, hang a right, we'll get right back there. And you're like, shut up! <laughs> I just want to hear that voice that's going to tell me, recalculating. 
in one half mile, take a left. And so it's like, quiet! And what's true in a GPS, I found is true in life too, that in moments of confusion, sometimes it's the right voice that brings clarity. Oftentimes there's so many voices that want to tell you what to do, and everybody's got an opinion on how you should raise your kids and all these different things, but then that one voice comes in. You talk to that right person, and the clarity begins to just seep in. It's like, ah, that's what I'm supposed to do. But clarity, though it may be a relief from confusion, is not necessarily itself easy. I've found that, honestly, in the things of God, clarity usually pushes us to make a difficult or a painful decision often. Clarity is the thing that pushes you to end that relationship with that guy because God's made it clear, God has made it clear that it's not his best for you. Clarity is that thing that makes you step up at work even though you know your coworkers are going to be talking bad about you. Clarity is the thing that makes you have that difficult conversation with a family member even though you'd rather sweep it under the rug. Clarity is the thing that makes you realize you need to forgive that person even though you'd rather just hold on to it. What do we do in the moments when God's instruction has been incredibly clear to us? Whether it's through reading his scriptures or whether it's him impressing something so clearly on our, on our spirit. And there's something in us that wants no part of it. There's something in us that necessarily doesn't even necessarily agree with it. And yet God has made his instruction clear. What do we do in those moments? Every single one of us has them. They come up. They are a part of our life. They're not like one and done. It's a part of our everyday journey with God. So what do we do in those moments? What do we do when the thing inside us says, I don't really want to do that. And yet God's made it clear. God has made it clear. How are we supposed to respond? In our text this morning, Jesus lays out for us a model of the, of the how to deal with what I call moments of challenging clarity. And then on the other side, he gives us the why of why we're supposed to respond that way. And so I think he has some really, really helpful things for us this morning. But I want to give you a little background. So to, to really appreciate the story, I want you to see that we're very early in Jesus' ministry. Okay, we're very early on. Jesus, at this point, is just beginning his time of ministry. He's not all that well-known. At this point, um, we see that this crowd is gathering around him, and so he's being pushed back, back, back into the water. And so he looks around, and he sees these two boats. All right, fishermen have just been fishing all night. They've come in, and the boats lie empty. So Jesus hops in one of them and begins to get away from the shore to get a little bit of space and begins to preach. Now, oftentimes, Jesus ends his time of of speaking with a time of what we would call ministry, where he's praying for people or he's healing the sick. But in this instance, what's really interesting is as soon as he's done talking, he shoos the crowd away, and then he just goes out with the guys, begins to talk with Peter. Because Peter, it turns out, will be the main student for the day. So what does he say? He turns to Peter and he says this. He says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now imagine with me what the look on Peter's face would have been in this moment. He's likely been fishing all night long. He's tired. He's probably hungry. He's frustrated. He's aggravated. And so everything in him wants to say, hey, listen, preacher, you handle the preaching. Let me handle the fishing. I Trust me, there's no fish to be caught. We've been out there for the last eight hours. There ain't no fish biting. And we know as you read the Gospels, that Peter is kind of this like gruff guy. So everything in him is probably wanting to tell Peter to tell Jesus off. And yet, he doesn't. What does Peter say? 
You can almost hear the exasperation in his voice as he, he just shares some of this frustration. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But instead of giving Jesus a piece of his mind like we expect him to, he follows up that phrase with those powerful four words. But at your word. You know, I wonder what it is that Peter saw in that moment that made him shy away from his natural human reaction and embrace something radically different. I don't know if you know the story of John Bunyan. John Bunyan was a man who lived back in the 17th century, and he was a man from England, and so he got married at a young age and through his wife uh, began following Jesus. And so they join a local church, and while there, God really gives him this gift and burden for preaching and makes it clear that his life is meant to be preaching the good news of Jesus. And so this is right around the time when the Church of England is beginning to persecute Christians, and so for all you history buffs, you know that was a major part in how this country was formed. And so he's out preaching, and the officials grab him and throw him in jail. Now, John Bunyan at this point is a fairly young man with four kids and a wife at home, and he's thrown in jail. And he's sitting there, and the officials begin to feel bad for him, so they go to him and they say, John, if you'll promise never to preach the name of Jesus again, you can go free today. And you imagine, imagine you've got four kids and a wife left to fend for themselves, You've got a life outside of jail that is on hold. You've got friends that you're not seeing anymore, good food that you're no longer eating. And so I imagine there is a temptation to say, surely God can make something else of my life than just preaching. Yes, I will go free. And yet the deep conviction in his soul leads him to answer this way. He says this. He says, if you let me out of prison today, I will preach again tomorrow by the grace of God. And and the, the jailers are astounded. And so they say, no, 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 maybe you're not hearing, okay? We will let you out if you just promise not to preach. Surely you can do other things. Surely you don't need to actually do this. We will let you go. And with this deep conviction in his voice, he says this, it's so good. If I lie in jail till the moss grows on my eyelids, I will never conceal the truth that God has taught me. And you hear this, this deep conviction down in his bones that no, no, no. I will not do what God has told me not to do. God has called me to preach, and so I'm going to preach in prison. And if you tell me that getting out of prison means I can't do it and can't do what God has commanded me to, then I don't want any part of it. You sense this thing down inside of him. The same thing that Jesus was teaching Peter that day and all of us. That when it comes to to making decisions, there are times when it doesn't make sense. Gosh, for John Bunyan, it made no sense to stay in that prison, right? He's got a family to take care of. He's got a life waiting for him on the outside. And yet, he submits himself to the command of God. Because he knew that there would be times and days when he was forced to make a decision. When the things that make sense to him don't necessarily line up with what God is calling him to do. And he learns the first lesson that Jesus wants us to learn from this story. It's this. When God commands us to do things, I submit my wisdom to his revelation. I submit my wisdom to his revelation. It made absolutely no sense for Peter to go back out fishing. He'd done it all night. They'd tried all the different places and no fish were to be found. And yet... That's exactly what Jesus tells him to do. Because sometimes the commands of God seem to fly in the face of what makes sense to us. They seem to go counter to what culture says is right. They seem to go counter often than what even we think is right. You're here today and you're thinking through, man, I want to I, I get to know this girl. I want to perhaps marry her home one day. Of course we should move in together and try it out. 
It doesn't make any sense not to do that. How else are you going to figure out if you're compatible? And you read the, the scriptures and they're clear that that's not God's best for you. And so you're left to make a decision. You're here and you hear about just a generous life. And you're like, man, I don't even have enough. I got to pay down my bills. I got to pay off college debt. I can't afford to be generous yet. And yet, that's what God commands you to do. You're here and you've recently started a business and you hear us talk about how God says to work for six days and rest on the seventh. And you say, man, my business will never make it. I have to work for seven days to get this thing off the ground. And you're forced to wrestle with, am I going to put my wisdom over his instruction? Am I going to choose to do what I think is right, what others tell me is prudent, or am I going to listen to God? See, you're forced to wrestle with the same exact thing that Peter was forced to wrestle with when Jesus said, go out and fish, and Peter said, that's a bad idea. Same exact truth. It doesn't matter, frankly, if what it... If what you're being instructed to do is wise. How about this? How about that time recently where your mom got sick and you prayed and prayed and prayed and she still passed away? And then it wasn't long after that that somebody else that you loved got sick and there was a part of you that said, I ain't praying again this time. The disappointment is just too hard. It's just too, too difficult for me to go there, to let my heart hope. And then you read the commands of Jesus where he says, with everything you do, pray that my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as in heaven. So you can't look at the cancer and not say, God, your kingdom come on that. God, your kingdom come over that cancer. Your will be done as it is in heaven on earth. And you're forced to make the choice, will I obey? Or will I just say, it's too hard, I'm not doing it. It doesn't make sense. My experience has taught me that the command of God isn't true. Friends, you have to wrestle this one to the ground. You have to decide where you land on this because the entire Christian journey is littered with situation after situation where following God doesn't make sense and yet you must choose to do it. And listen, to be honest, like if you're going to be a part of this church family, you have to get ready for it. Because as I, honestly, I read this book from cover to cover, there are things in here that make me uncomfortable. There are things that I don't like. There are things that I wish weren't true. Gosh, I wish as I read the Bible that hell was never mentioned, that it's not a reality. And so I get this, this breaking of my heart that says, God, how can that possibly be? God, I, I hate that. I don't like that. Am I going to choose just to go, no, it can't, it can't be? Or am I going to be faithful to say, this is what the scriptures say. God, what do you want me to do in light of it? You can't read this thing and like everything it says and be reading it faithfully. You have to make the decision, when I butt up against things that I don't like or don't make sense, what do I choose to do? And honestly, the sooner you make that decision, the easier it is in that moment. I submit my wisdom to his revelation. Grab onto those four words, but at your word. We see here, though, as we keep reading, the lesson wasn't done. It's difficult to catch it when you first read it, um, but what's happening here is Jesus says to this group of guys, he says, put out to the deep. It says he's looking at Peter, put out to the deep and let down your nets. And we think Jesus is talking to Peter and Peter responds. What's actually happening is that verb there, your, is actually a plural verb. And so what's happening is Jesus is talking to the whole crew. 
But if you know anything about Peter, it's clear that he's usually the leader wherever he is because he rises to the front. And so Peter takes it on himself to answer for the whole group. And so I'm just imagining the other guys in the boat with him, whether it's this boat or the one next to him, and, and they're thinking to themselves, there ain't no way we're going out there. They look at each other. They look over at Peter. Man, who's this preacher man going to tell us how to fish? And they say, Peter will set him straight. So Peter starts talking. Master, we toiled all night and, did, and took nothing. And they're like, yeah, tell him, Peter. And then he goes, but at your word, we will go. And they're like, what? Peter, I'm not going back out there. Peter, we worked all night. And he's like, come on, here we go. Follow. In doing so, Peter joined what we've seen to be true in our own lives, in your life, in the thousands of lives that came before Peter is this, that following God is going to look foolish in the other eyes of others sometimes. How do you think Noah looked when he built a boat in the middle of the desert? How do you think Joshua looked when they marched the people of Israel seven times around Jericho? Pretty foolish. And yet, following God meant this is what I'm supposed to do. And so he's learning this lesson that, that Jesus has been teaching Why are we going back out? Because the master has said so. You have to be prepared to embrace the fact that as you follow the clear instruction of God, those around you will question your judgment. You cannot get around that. And you have to right now choose to be okay with that. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Those around you will think it makes no sense. They will think it's silly. They will think you're getting pulled off course, that you're drifting, that you're into some cult. And you make the decision now to say, God, I care more about what you think of me. And what others think of me. I was the other day on the phone with a, with a girl who was really wrestling through what to do with college. And now she was brilliant and really had an um, entrance into medical school. And her parents really, really wanted her to go to medical school. But she was feeling this deep draw and conviction from God that what she was actually supposed to do was go to Bible school. Because she wanted to work at a church. And so she was wrestling through, Mike, what do I do when I disappoint my parents? What do I do when they don't agree with me? What do I do when they think I should go somewhere else or that I'm throwing my life away? Forced to make a very similar decision. Listen, as I said a moment ago, if you are going to be a part of this church, you're going to be forced to deal with this too. See, for us as a leadership team, we are deeply committed to the Word of God. We're deeply committed to what it says. We're deeply committed to aligning our lives with it, to believing what it believes, to preaching what it preaches. And so if you're going to call this place home, you better believe that there are going to be people you meet who say, oh, you go to City Church? Do you actually believe what they believe? Man, that place is so narrow-minded. The place is so judgmental. Do you actually believe what the Bible says like those people do? You're forced to wrestle with the second thing that Jesus wants us to learn is this. I submit my reputation to his instruction. See, when it comes to following Jesus, he tells us these first two things of of how does it actually look. It's first you make that decision to say, God, I'm going to choose what you have for me. I'm going to choose to follow you even when it doesn't make sense. Even when my experience has told me that that's not the best road. And when others don't like it, I'm going to choose to just leave my reputation in your hands. And the natural question as you hear that is, why? Man, why would I do that? Why would I do that? You can't always explain it to others. And yet it's what God commands us to do. Why would we do that? Let's pick the story back up. This is where things get interesting. It says, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Now imagine you're Peter. 
You have been probably learning the fishing trade since you were about eight years old. You have dreamed of a day like this. You've dreamed of a day where you catch so many fish, it actually causes your boat to sink. You're in for a huge payday. All of your colleagues are going to think you're an expert fisherman. And so clearly, Jesus or Peter's reaction is going to be when these fish come in to go, Whoa! Look at all these fish! That's not what happens. Why? It says this. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. Naturally, the boat is sinking. They came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. All right, calling the other boats. Peter's going wild at this point, right? When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Something has shifted inside of Peter in this moment. Peter didn't even look at the fish. They don't even matter anymore. These fish, they don't even matter to Peter anymore. He looks at Christ. He understands that he is in the presence of something supernatural, of someone divine. And the fish, it's like they don't even exist. It sounds like he even leaves the other boats just to deal with it. He just walks away from it altogether, absolving himself of even the responsibility of taking care of these fish. He just goes to Jesus' knees and bows at Jesus. Why does he do that? What could have possibly happened in his mind and in his heart in a moment that would cause him to react in such a way? Even even his language changes. I don't know if you noticed that. He starts off the passage calling Jesus master, which is a, a really actually a casual word back then. And he finishes it here by saying, Lord, there is a submitting that has happened in just a moment. Everything has changed. And a truth that's kind of, kind of tucked away in this little passage is this, that my priorities change when I see Jesus. When you get a revelation of who God is, everything just gets reoriented in your mind and in your heart. Everything begins to look a little different. Because there were things that you thought were going to make you happy. There were things that you thought would bring you joy. For Peter, it was probably catching a giant boat full of fish. For you, it might be getting that right relationship. For you, it might be getting that job or or actually paying off the debt or something like that that you think is going to make you happy. When the truth is, Jesus is at all times trying to show us, I make you happy. I am the thing that you need most deeply. I am the thing that is going to give you the joy that you actually need. And so it's amazing how he gives Peter what he thinks he wants. And in doing so, he gives him a revelation of himself to say, Peter, what you actually need is me. And the priorities shift in an instant and in a moment. And so as we wrestle with what does it look like to be obedient, to follow those moments of of clarity that are challenging, why do we do that? The first is this. Obedience allows myself to open my heart to God. There's a really interesting parallel where the, the psalmist talks about this. He says this. He says, you made known to me the path of life. God, you have told me which way I'm supposed to go. You have told me what I'm to do. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Those two things seem to be tied together in the scriptures. Paul writes about this in Philippians 4, where he says, Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. That sounds pretty basic. That sounds like a list of things to do, right? Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Okay, so follow this. Do these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Why? Why is that true? Why does Scripture do this together? Because obedience invites the presence of God. 
The first reason that we are to do this, that we are to follow Jesus in this way, is because it invites the presence of God deeper into our lives. Obedience always opens the door of my heart to him in greater measure. And Peter sees this in an instant and goes bowing at the feet of Jesus. Now listen, obedience alone, if it gave us more of God, would be reason to pursue it. But the story doesn't end there. See, obedience also enables the scope of my life to expand. It allows the scope of my life to expand. It finishes the story by saying this. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And then when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. See, there's not a single one of us that doesn't sit and dream of a life that matters. Even as I say that, there's something in you that just sort of awakens a little bit because you know that God has designed your life to matter past your years here on earth. That you would come to the end of your life and realize that the effects of what you did on earth keep on rippling. 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, all the way into eternity. There's something written on our hearts that knows that our life is meant to live bigger than ourselves. It's meant to be more than just the day-to-day grind. It's meant to be more than just the simple things of life. God has designed each of us with a specific and clear journey ahead of us that will enable our lives to expand. And Peter gets a taste of it here. Because I want you to imagine, how much different would Peter's life have looked if in that moment when Jesus said, hey, put out into the deep and let's go fishing, Peter in his frustration and anger and tiredness and hunger just looked over at him and said, no, I don't think so. Guys, wrap it up. We're, We're going in. Sorry, bud. And walked away. This is the same Peter, let me remind you, who didn't do that, who we see in the story, who became a disciple of Jesus, who three years or so later was the very person that Jesus looked at and said, hey, on you, Peter, I will build my church. So in a very real way, us and the billion other people celebrating Christ today are standing on the shoulders of Peter. Why? Because he made a simple decision to be obedient. John Bunyan sat in that prison for years. While he was there, he began to think about his life. He began to think about who he was and where he came from, about the story of God in his life, and he began to just write it down. And he wrote it down in sort of this this poetry or allegorical form. While he's in prison, he finishes this book, and he releases it, and it catches like wildfire. A book called Pilgrim's Progress, a book that has hundreds of millions of copies sold. What would have happened to him if that day when his jailers came to him and said, hey man, just don't preach anymore and you can get free. He would have walked out of that prison, probably followed God faithfully for the rest of his life perhaps. Had a good life, loved his family well. But we would have never had Pilgrim's Progress. And the the impact of his life would have been dramatically stunted because he didn't choose the small act of obedience to say, no, God has called me here It's called me to preach, and if that's what it takes to get out, I will not leave. See, there's a truth hidden in this text. It's that simple obedience leads to eternal impact. The question I want you to wrestle with is, what if you are just one simple act of faith and obedience away from your life looking radically different? 
What if God is calling you to do something today so that he can set up a, a meeting with you for you a year from now to meet that person who would enable you to get the vision for that nonprofit that would affect 100 million lives 20 years from now? What if your small acts of faith today open up the door to the great things that God has called you to, but we're missing it because we're not stepping forth with courage? It breaks my heart to think that some of us could be missing that. And I just wonder, what if we didn't? What if we didn't miss it? What if as a church and as a people we decided that we were going to be those who take the small steps of faith? Who when God says go left, we decide to go left. When God says stay straight, we decide to do that. And we decide to to embrace the difficulty that comes with it because we are so tied to the word of God to the voice of Jesus in our lives. We are so tied to that that nothing else matters. You know, as you're listening to this, there's probably a part of you that's thinking, man, so much of this seems to be dependent on me. Like this obedience, I got to do this, and then God will use me. And don't miss this. It would break my heart if you missed this. Do not miss this. It is all still about grace. It is all about Christ. It's all about grace because it's the same Messiah who stood in that boat that day, who would about three years later be forced to wrestle with the very same things He stood in a garden of Gethsemane, seeing the cross right ahead of him, seeing the incredible pain that was coming, that uh, his body would would be flogged and ripped apart, that he'd be forced to carry his cross up on a hill where he'd be strung up and left to die. But that that wasn't even the worst of it, that Jesus, in that moment, would have God the Father turn his back on him as God poured out his wrath against your sin and my sin in that moment, and Jesus gets separated from God the Father. And Jesus is standing in that garden saying, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way you can do this, please, but not my will, your will. Jesus leads the way in faithful obedience. And choosing the hard things over the easy things. And choosing to follow the voice of God, even when it's difficult. So that you and I can stand here today and do the same thing by His grace, by His mercy. So that our lives would live up to the incredible call that He's put on them. So that our families would look different. So that this region really would look different as a result of our church gathering. So that the people who know us, we would see them in eternity because of the faithful witness that we have before them. That the people we've been praying for for years, we would keep doing so and then they would enter into the kingdom. And we would see them in heaven one day. Why? Because small obedience leads to eternal impact. So the question you've got to wrestle with is what does that look like for you? What is perhaps a a small decision that you know right now God has been leading you to? And I want to give you a moment just to think through that. So take a second. Would you stand with me? All around this room, let's stand together. I want you to take a moment and see if right now, while I've been speaking, God has been highlighting something deep in your soul. That you know that God has been speaking to you about this very specific thing. You've been wrestling with it. And you know that today is the day He is calling you to be obedient, to be faithful. And you've been wrestling with it because it's hard. You've been wrestling with it because you know it's going to be uncomfortable. That conversation's going to be hard. You don't honestly want any part of it. And yet you know, because God's been speaking to you this entire service, that you're supposed to do it. If that's you and there's a relationship that you know is supposed to end and you know today is the day you make that decision to do it, I want to give you the opportunity right now to make that decision that says, God, I will follow you. I will choose obedience even when it's difficult. 
And so go ahead and bow your heads for a second. If that's you, and you know, man, I need a mindset shift when it comes to the Word of God. I need a mindset shift when it comes to courage. I need a mindset shift when it comes to following Jesus. That thing I know I need to act on today. If that's you, I just, as, a, as an outward sign of something God is doing in your heart right now, would you just lift your hands to heaven? Just kind of put them out. Just put them out before God. Just asking that he would, in this very moment, give you the supernatural courage that you need. You know that thing that he's asking you to do. You know where he's asking you to look a little different and think a little bit different. And if that's you, just you're putting your hands to him. Just say, God, I surrender. God, I put this thing in my hands and I lift it to you. Lord Jesus, you see these hands lifted. Holy Spirit, right now in this moment, would you come? We just declare that we need you desperately. We lack the courage that we need to make these decisions. And so, Holy Spirit, come. Right now. God, where we, where we have lacked it, we ask for it. For the courage, for the faith, to believe that what you say is true. Even when it doesn't make sense, we still believe. God, like the man who says, I believe, help my unbelief, we come before you bearing our hearts, saying, I believe, help my areas of unbelief. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Fall on us, Jesus. We so want our lives to align with your purpose, to align with your instruction. God, you see these hands raised to heaven, just declaring, I need you. I hear what you're saying, God, and I need you to make it a reality. Would you come? Would you come? Yeah, you know, as the band, as the band leads us here, I've asked them to sing a song that is going to enable us to respond with a yes. To respond with a yes that says, God, I will build my life on the foundation of you. Not on what other people think is wise. Not on what other people think is smart. I leave my reputation. I leave my future. I leave all of these things in your hands. And I place my feet squarely on the rock of Christ today. And so I encourage you as the band leads us now and we sing, allow your heart to just erupt in that direction. The direction of just, yes, God. Yes, God, I worship you. I trust you. And we sing to you.